Welcome to the It Is Written podcast. As doubts about God's will arise, the world resorts to feelings and experts. We go to the law and to the testimony of God's Word. In today's episode, we're going to do an overview of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. How can a Christian practically walk worthily of the calling we have received? So we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And I'd like for us to overview it and kind of see how it lays itself out. In chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And the first half of the book of Ephesians is showing us the great blessings God has given us in Christ. They are amazing, they're wonderful, and we'll see those. In chapter 4 and verse 1, He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And so starting in chapter four, he pleads with them to live the way they ought to live. So chapters one through three is what God's done for us in Jesus. And chapters four through six is how we ought to respond to that and how we should live according to his calling. Now, it's interesting to see the contrast between those two sections. I believe I'm right that chapters one through three has one imperative verb, one command form verb. And chapters four through six have 40. Hmm. One to three is telling us what God's done. Four to six is commanding us what we ought to do. Look at chapter three and verse one. For this reason, I, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and four one, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, that's interesting. He's the prisoner of Christ Jesus in 3.1 and the prisoner of the Lord in 4.1. Christ Jesus is used a lot more in the first three chapters and Lord is used a lot more in the last three chapters because Christ Jesus describes what he's done as the Messiah to save us, his blessings to us. And Lord describes his command over us and our submission to that, which is what he describes in 4 to 6. So it lays itself out very nicely in global terms. So let's look for a minute at the blessings he mentions. There's just so many of them. In verses 3 to 14, you have one long sentence in the original. And it's just describing some of the blessings. He's chosen us. He's chosen the kind of people he wants. And he's chosen us to be holy and blameless before him. He's chosen the life he wants us to have. He's predestined us to be adopted as his sons. That's a decision he made before he ever created the world, that he would predestine those he'd chosen to being his children. You know, natural children sometimes are an accident. Adopted children never are. So God's adopted us. All of this to the praise of the glory of his grace in verse 6. He's redeemed us through his blood. He's forgiven our trespasses according, in the end of verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. I love that term lavished. It's not dribbled or sprinkled or, or something like that. It's lavished on us, his grace. He... He revealed his will, his intentions for the ages in verses 9 and 10, that he would unite everything back to himself in Jesus. The things that had been ruptured by the sins that men had committed, he brings back together. We become his inheritance, the people that God inherits his portion. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have so many blessings that he's given us in Christ. So Paul prays for them. And the prayer of Paul is just so much deeper than ours would be. He prays in verse 17 that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that their eyes of their heart would be enlightened to know the hope of his calling, to know the riches of the glory of his inheriting us, and to know the amazing power that, that God has for us. 
very deep spiritual prayer. Then he takes three of the blessings of God and elaborates on them a lot more. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, uh, 1 through uh, 10, God has taken us from death and brought us into life. We were living according to the pattern of the world, of Satan, of our fleshly desires. But by God's rich mercy, his great love, the surpassing riches of kindness toward us, he he saved us, he he transformed us, he forgave us, and he made us a beautiful work of art, of his creative saving art. And then in chapter 2, verses 11 to the end of the chapter, he took aliens, people that were not in in his country, and brought them to peace and fellowship with him. He brought us together in him. He took us out of a place of, of where we were foreigners and we were outcasts and made us his, his own people. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, he, reve- he took us from ignorance to re- revelation. He revealed his will to us through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles and prophets, and, and made us understand his whole plan and purpose for us. It's just amazing. And so he concludes this section with one of the most amazing prayers, I think, that could ever be uh, mentioned. Just think about what he's praying here. You want to read chapter 3, verses 16 to 19? I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is such an ambitious prayer, that we be strengthened with God's power through his spirit and the inner man, that Christ could dwell in our hearts, that we could be able to comprehend the incomprehensible knowledge of God. It surpasses knowledge and he wants us to know it that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God, that we'd have all the, whole, all the fullness of God in us. Now, those are just un, un, irrational prayers. These are asking for things that go way beyond what we could ever possibly imagine God could do for us. It sounds like Paul is just kind of letting himself dream here. But look, notice the very next verse in verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He's saying we ask too little. He can do way, way more than all we could ask or even think or imagine. God's able to transform us in this way. Our prayers ask too little. And then he talks about the kind of life we ought to live in response to that. We should walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. He uses that term walk. Some translations translate it differently. But in 4.17, that we should walk not like the Gentiles walk. In 5.2, we should walk in love. In 5.8, we should walk as children of light. And in 5.15, we should walk as wise men. So this is telling us the kind of life we ought to live. We ought to live a life of, of unity with our brethren a life in which leaders equip us to work together to grow the body, be what we ought to be. We ought to walk in 417 and following in a way totally different from the pagans. They're confused and it shows in their life, but we ought to be taught by the Lord and put off the old man, the old way of life, put on the new man. And he gives, he doesn't just say that in the abstract. He starts giving details. He starts saying things like, don't lie, but speak truth. Don't steal, but give. You know, don't speak bad things. Speak edifying 
things that build people up and give them grace and so forth and so on. He talks about the light that we ought to live in, that we ought to abstain from the terrible things of darkness, the impurity, the sexual sin, the greed, and and live for the Lord. He speaks about how we should be filled with the Spirit. In uh, 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And he talks about how to be filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit as you speak to each other in spiritual songs, as you sing and make melody in your heart, as you give thanks, and as you're subject to one another in the fear of Christ. He spends a lot of time on that point. Look at 5.21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's often misunderstood. It is true in a way we should serve each other. But here, what he's saying is when he says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, it's wives, be subject to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, submit to your masters. Some people have said, well, that means the wife should submit and the husband should submit. Well, no, that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that uh, the children should obey and the parents should obey the children. It doesn't mean that slaves should submit to their masters and masters should submit to their slaves. It means that we should be submissive in every role that calls for that in our lives. And so he wives, defines that. Right. Wives should submit to their husbands while husbands treat their wives like Jesus treated us, sacrificing ourselves for the good of our wives. So they respect us, we love them. And children obey their parents, while the fathers are careful not to provoke them to anger, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Or as slaves are to submit to their masters, even if they're not looking, and masters are to give up threatening and remember that they all have a master in heaven. They want to be treated kindly by him. And then he concludes the book by talking about our need to be strong in the Lord and put on his armor to stand against these diabolical forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are fighting more than just human enemies. And we need God's strength to fight in. We need God's armor. We need his blessing. We call upon him in verse 18. We pray at all times for the, all perseverance, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We know we need God's help. We can't do this on our own. So Ephesians is just a great example of a great book, starting with what God has done for us and detailing so much more than we had time to do in this lesson, all the great things God has done and offering prayers for the people in very deep spiritual ways. And then how we should respond, how we should walk, how we should act in view of what God has done for us. And so just a great lesson for us if we go back and reread and think about the book of Ephesians be very rich for us. Thank you for listening to the It Is Written podcast. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, feel free to send Gary an email at garyfisher1063 at gmail.com. We hope you have a blessed day.